Listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show featuring two completely opposite longtime friends. I'm Carrie, and I bring the practical buzzkill vibe to this partnership. And I'm Amy. I tend to be upbeat and social, and this morning I even gave Carrie a cup of joy in the form of tea. Each week we have book nerd conversations with each other and sometimes a special guest. We not only talk about what we're reading, but also book adjacent topics such as stuff we've had to Google while reading, new titles on our TBR list, film adaptations that we've seen, and bookish news. At the end of our shows, you'll have new books to put on your nightstand and a laugh or two along the way. And I just want to clarify the cup of joy is Tazo Tea and it's called Joy. So there you go. (laughs) We want to remind everyone that Forward Radio is having its sixth anniversary pledge drive from March 27th to April 9th. We're hoping to raise at least $4,000 and we need your help. Please visit forwardradio.org to donate. We have some great thank you tokens of our appreciation for supporting the station. This week, we're talking about book covers. Colorful book covers because it's spring and the colors are starting to come out. The trees are starting to bloom and it makes us think of... What? Color. Color. I just think of color, but I'm thinking of some of your categories that have nothing to do with color. Well, you know, like like with anything, we we start out with one idea and then we realize, oh, wait, I, I think the initial idea was like colorful colors because I recently picked a book because of the colorful colors on the cover. Jeez Louise, that's a lot of alliteration. So we thought, okay, let's talk about, you know, what type of book covers do we tend to gravitate towards? Because sometimes, at least for me, that's why I pick a book. So we got started on this. Well, then we sort of realized like, oh, what are our categories? We quickly realized that we have certain categories that we tend to be drawn to. And of course, this doesn't mean every book we pick for this reason, but we see some some patterns, uh, and our patterns are, are different. Very different. Other. It'll be funny when we talk about it. Yeah. I just want to say that all the books that we're talking about, one of the criteria was that not only did we have to love the cover, we also have to really like the book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we're not talking about any books that we don't like. Right. Right. So, right. But first, let's talk about what's been going on. We'll do that a little later in our show. What's been going on? Uh you know, nothing. Nothing. Same old. What What do I ever have to report? Nothing. I didn't get to on. talk about my New York trip. Would you like to talk two? about it now? Uh, maybe a little bit because it was really <laughs> awesome. <laughs> if you, if if you, you insist, insist, I will talk yeah. about my New York trip. If you trip. really want to hear about it. And let <laughs> me pull out my slideshow projector. <laughs> We did some bookish things. We did a whole cheese class based on a book that I read here, American Cheese. I talked about it a few weeks ago, I believe. That was a lot of fun. We went on a pizza tour. That was a lot of fun because what's not to like about pizza? But that wasn't book adjacent. No, that that wasn't book adjacent. Pizza adjacent. I drug my husband into two bookstores. The last one, I thought. Oh, this is a cute little bookstore, but it's not very big. And I was like, and he said, "Well, I kind of didn't want to tell you this, but there is an upstairs." <laughs> and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> he almost—he tried to trick me because he wanted to go watch basketball because uh, it's March Madness uh. season. We stayed in a new part of New York that we've never stayed before. Every time we go, we stay somewhere a little bit different. But uh, we stayed in the financial district at Wall Street, but it was kind of quiet down there. 
as opposed to some other places we've stayed that are more into the center of Manhattan, like near Times Square, which mm-hmm. I really don't it's like loud. staying because it's yeah. loud and it's crowded and everything. And this was, it was nice and quiet and it was right next to a subway stop. So you could get easily around. And I'm th- thinking, although I like staying in different parts of the city, but that one was nicer than I anticipated. Yeah. Okay. That's it. And you're not going on a spring break. Your school's on spring break, but you're yes. not doing a spring break. Yeah. No, we're not going anywhere. I'm just enjoying sleeping past 530 every single day of spring break. Oh, well, you know, that's something you're going to have a staycation. Yes. Doing absolutely nothing. That's nice. Except for doing this podcast. And we are recording this on Saturday, April 1st. It's April Fool's Day. It is. I wish I'd thought of that. Could have done an (laughs) April Fool's joke on you, but. The best April Fool's I ever had was when I was a kid and my mom woke me up. It must have been a Saturday. Woke me up. And she said, Carrie, there's a tiger in the backyard. And I remember running to the window and looking out in the backyard. Like, I totally believed it. And I was like, there's a tiger in the backyard. And then she's like, April Fool's. And I still remember that. I I don't remember how old I was or anything. but I remember doing something to my kids, which was a li- slightly cruel, and that I had this, you know, 13 by 9 casserole container that had a top on it i think i know what you're gonna say because i think i did it with my kids but go ahead carry on and that day when they came home from school i'm like oh i made some brownies while you were gone would you like some brownies and they opened it up and i had i had cut out a bunch of the letter e in brown construction paper (laughs) and put it in the thing and you should have just seen their faces oh They were so, so just so sad. And I felt a little bit guilty. And maybe I did make them some real brownies yeah, after well, that. Well, you'd have to. I but know. But that would be fun. Yeah. That would be a, I did that once with my kids. I don't know if I actually made them brownies, though, because I am <laughs> I really don't like to cook. So. <laughs> well, Carrie, we have a film adaptation to talk about. Yeah. We watched it yesterday. It was the first day of spring break for you. Mm-hmm. And I had a few people from book club over. And we watched the the Netflix screen adaptation from 2020 of Rebecca starring Army Hammer and Lily Lily, Collins. No, Lily Lily James. Lily James. There's a lot of Lilies. There are. And you suggested this movie because you are teaching this book to your class. Mm -hmm. And I kind of poo-pooed it. Not because I don't like Rebecca. Rebecca's high up there in one of my favorite books. I had heard and seen online that it had gotten terrible, terrible reviews. Mm-hmm. The Rotten Tomatoes score was like 38%. And I it wasn't necessarily that I didn't want to see it. I just wanted to warn everybody, mm-hmm. you know, in case that mattered to somebody. Not me. Didn't matter to you. Didn't matter to anybody else either. We watched it. It, it was, was fine. It was free. So it, it, it was free. Yeah. Yeah, right. And so we had looked at some of the other movies because I didn't care. I'm like, whatever. We looked at some of the other movies and they were still, you'd have to pay to watch them. And so ultimately it's your cheapness that made you go for Rebecca. <laughs> let's, let's watch this. We don't have to pay anything. <laughs> well, let's watch this. And I said, hey, we can, we can make fun of it. Yeah. How bad can it be? And yeah. It, it wasn't, wasn't bad it, at no. all. I don't know why it got such terrible. I mean, I'm not sure it's the greatest movie I no. ever saw. And poor Army Hammer had to wear the same mustard colored <laughs> suit, you know, day for the after first, day. Day after day for the first half of the movie. Right. But besides that. For somebody who's supposed to be rolling in money, yeah. he's like, I'm like, dude. Get a new suit. Right. I anyway. mean, technically, maybe it was a different suit. They were all mustard, but slightly different. <laughs> yeah. But who know? has that many mustard no, yellow suits? No. Not very no. many people. Yeah. 
but it did veer from the book a little bit yeah. at the end. Yeah, which I mean, which I didn't love, but I understand why they did it because the book at the end it's 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 very low key, and so they made it where it's like a courtroom kind of drama. Now, I would have been perfectly happy for them to stick closer to the book there, but I understand why they did because most people. It's not very cinematic. Right. To, yeah. Right. So I have been, you know, saying things to make you feel bad about. <laughs> I had to eat my about words. Dissing. I the movie. dissed your, I dissed your movie before <laughs> I had enough information, yeah. you know, before I actually saw it with my own eyes mm-hmm. instead of just listening to what people on the internet say. Mm hmm. Moving on. What news you got? You got any, I do have you, a little bit of news. You stay much more on top of the... I know. You the, need to get with it. Oh, uh, well. Got other things going on. <laughs> You're much more curious than I am. Much more. So, my bookish news is that they have recently selected the judges for the 2023 National Book Awards. You know, the National Book Awards, or any of the awards, I guess I never really think about who's choosing these things, right? I guess I kind of assumed that it was... Like with the Nobel Prize, I think it's like the same people who choose it year after year, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I don't have any idea. Okay. In my head, it's like <laughs> the same people. It's like a committee and mm-hmm. they choose the winners year after year. But that's not really the way it works. A new committee is chosen every year. And if you think about it, I mean, who gets chosen as the winner depends a lot on the sensibilities and the tastes of the of the judges. Well, this year's judges, one of them is, is of particular interest to us as Kentuckians because one of the judges is Silas House, who is a beloved Kentucky author here. His newest book is Lark Ascending. He wrote Southernmost, and he is a um, LGBTQ Appalachian male. And I think that might bring a different sensibility to the books that get nominated and ultimately ultimately win. So anyway, that was a little bit newsworthy to me. I know I, on some of the other podcasts I listened to, one of them, they were a little surprised that there were so many story collections that were finalists for the book award last year. But then when they looked at the judges, a lot of the judges were short story oh, yeah. writers. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean about mm-hmm. the the tastes and the, Life experiences of the committee really makes a difference. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see what books get nominated and what wins. And he's going to have a lot of books to read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would not want to do that. Uh, that would feel like a lot of pressure to decide that. I don't know. I feel weird enough giving reviews on Goodreads. Well, and I also wonder the inner workings of that. Like, how is it like a courtroom? Like, it has to be unanimous? Mm-hmm. Or is it like majority rules? I don't know. I don't know. Either. I bet you'll Google it to find out, though. I might Google it, and I'll report on it next time. And I'll report on it next time. I know how you roll. So, uh, Carrie, what have you been reading lately? So I finished an audiobook called Blue by Kai Kupferschmidt. Say that again? Kupferschmidt. Okay. He's German. Maybe Austrian. Anyway. I selected this book because of its cover. This is the book that started the whole idea. So it's it's got bright blue lettering and a peacock on the cover. With blue With the plumes. blue and the green and uh-huh. the plumage. And so this is a nonfiction book that is all about the color blue, which might sound boring, but it really 
was pretty interesting. So it, it, when I say the color blue, it's ta it talked about all aspects of the color blue. So for example, in the early part of the book, it talks about how chemists use their magic chemistry skills to create new colors of blue. So I had never heard of Yemen blue. Yemen, like the country? No, Yemen, Y-I-N-M-N, blue. And it's a very, I mean, look at that. Wow. That's a vibrant blue. But that was discovered by a chemist in the Northwest of the United States. And then Prussian blue. That's an, So there's all these different, you know, blue shades. And a lot of them were discovered by chemists because they were mixing compounds and then firing these compounds. And they sort of accidentally discovered these colors of blue. Okay. So, but how's that different from any other color? Well, it might not be different from any other color, but I oh, mean, okay. I didn't even know they did that. Like, oh, I didn't know that okay. any color that they just sort of put these compounds together and then they fire okay. them at these really high temperatures and they come up with these colors. Okay. So I didn't know that any color was potentially well, discovered I guess way. I was thinking blue's kind of unusual in nature. It, the book talked about that too, is that some cultures have very few words for blue. And other cultures have lots of words for blue. And so in the past, the thinking was uh, that cultures that didn't have very many colors for blue, like they, they couldn't see the color blue. Like they thought that that was the reason they didn't have, you know, words for the, for the color. Well, then they realized that, you know, everybody can see blue, but it's how often a culture sees the color blue that will determine how many words that culture has for mm. the color blue. So it's not that they can't see it. It's just how often it appears in their lives. There's a chapter that talks about the cones and the rods in humans' eyes and how we can see different colors based on what cells we have in our eyes. And then one of the things I found most fascinating is that marine animals cannot see the color blue. Hmm. They don't have the cells in their eyes to be able to see them. And so he visited a researcher who has studied the eyeballs of thousands of marine animals, and none of them have these particular cells. Then there's a chapter that talks about all the different idiomatic meanings of the word blue in different cultures. So for example, in the United States, if you say in English that you're feeling blue, it means you're sad, you're depressed, you're melancholy. But if you're feeling blue in German, you're drunk. <laughs> so, you know, it talked about all these different things related to the color blue, which I had never really thought about a lot of them. And I love the color blue. And so I thought it was pretty fascinating. It was a quick listen. I think it was about a six hour book. So it's the study of the color blue. It's the study of the color blue. And that is just about as nerdy as a person can get, I think. <laughs> well, I don't know. Therefore, I liked it. <laughs> well, I was listening to the Ology podcast recently, mm -hmm. uh, talking about melanin, somebody who studied melanin. Mm -hmm. And blue eyes apparently are the lack of melanin mm -hmm. in the eyeball, and your eyes are not really blue. They just reflect they the light. They reflect the light and make them blue. Sort of like the sky looks blue, but the sky's not really blue. Mm -hmm. It's the way the sun is shining. Yeah. Which it. is crazy when you think about it. Well, and I will have to say, like, when this book was talking about how we see color, and the light. And the other thing was one of the chapters that talks about the wavelengths. 
So it talked about like Roy G. Biv, right? We all learned about Roy G. Biv. And then it talks about like that ultraviolet light is beyond what we can see. And so, you know, that got a little bit, I mean, I sort of started, (laughs) when I was listening to it, I was like, what is real? (laughs) Like what even is real? (laughs) Because you think about it and it's, is it really blue or is it that I'm seeing different wavelengths and it was talking about how all the different colors have different wavelengths i mean it gets a little mind blowy at least to me uh-huh. uh, because it's like so does this actually have a color or is is it just what i'm seeing and then other people potentially see something different i mean we assume that you see a color and everybody sees that color but that might not actually be the case because you don't know what anybody else actually sees. Anyway, I could probably talk for a really long time about the color blue and how interesting this book was. <laughs> so, what have you been reading? So, I'm going to talk about two travel memoirs that I have read recently. The first one is called Bike Riding in Kabul The Global Adventures of a Foreign Aid Practitioner by Jamie Bowman. And Jamie Bowman was an attorney in the U.S. for several years when she decided she wanted to try something new and different. So she applied to be an international legal consultant with some global aid agencies. In the early 2000s, she served in some places like Ukraine and Kiev, Afghanistan, Moscow, and Bangladesh, locations that are still in the news today. And her personal and her professional experiences were at times funny and also terrifying. So there's quite a few references to the socio-political news at the time. So if you are a history or a news junkie, this book should appeal to you. But even if you aren't, there's still plenty to enjoy about this book. The writing is engaging, while she also discusses some hard issues. I never, I mean, you know that like the United Nations and different global agencies have consultants or people who help to do these things around the world, but you never really think about like, what are the conditions that they have Mm. to live in and, you know, working with the local governments there. And, you know, she, she talks about having to bribe Moscow police just to, to let her pass through a particular gate because her permit had expired by like a day Mm. and she did not want to end up in a moscow jail right right right. so anyway it was it was pretty fascinating um the other one i want to talk about is uh similar but different Mm. it's called nala's world one man his rescue cat and a bike ride around the globe by dean nicholson and gary jenkins and so i heard about this book because of an instagram account that i sort of happened upon i think because i like to watch a lot of cute animal videos Uh, but the account's called one bike one world and it's a feed that had this really burly tattooed and bearded scottish fella who was posting all kinds of pictures with he and his little cat on his shoulder or on his bike and then i realized that there was a book that he had written about his experiences and on a whim i decided to try the audiobook Um, so this is the story of dean who's a 30 something dude who decided he wanted a life change he kind of wasn't going very very far very fast in life in general and so he and his drinking buddy decide that they're going to bicycle around the world and they they lasted together as far as bosnia where his friend decided that he'd really had enough and it was time that he was going to head back to scotland but dean continued 
And in, when he was in Bosnia, he discovered this little sick stray kitten along the side of the road. And he takes her on his bike to the next village to get her vet care. And, well, of course, he ends up bonding and falling in love with this little cat who he names Nala. And she becomes his companion around the world. I mean, I think about a lot of the cats that I've had experience with, and they do not do well with change. They don't like to be moved from one place to another. And this little cat is riding on the back of his bike in a little carrier (laughs) around the world, having to stay with, you know, in all kinds of different situations. It's pretty crazy. But what's kind of interesting about this is that this little cat helped open the world to Dean. People would come from all over to see this kitty and his social media, which he started just to show friends and family like where he was and, you know, what he was doing on his trip. It exploded. And as he kept on going on his trip, he encountered other animals in need of help, which he was able to find homes for and pay the vet bills for through his followers. Hmm. And he used a lot of the money to help charities, mainly animal charities and the places where he traveled. And so you get a glimpse of the challenges of traveling by bike, if that's something you're interested in, and also traveling with a pet, like the links he'd have to go to to get pet passports Mm. to be able to cross borders was something I never really even thought about. And so we get a look at places that most of us will never go, Bosnia, Georgia, Albania, Kazikas, one of the stands. But his book ended as COVID closed the world mm. and he got caught during that he had to hunker mm. down for a lot of COVID. And that's where the book ends. But that's not where his story ends, because I believe that now that the world has opened back up again, that he's still traveling. And I think he's gone to Thailand and Southeast mm. Asia. This was a fun book. And the narrator, Angus King, has an amazing Scottish accent. So, Carrie, if you want to get a little Scottish accent going mm-hmm. before your trip, you may want to take a listen. But okay, yeah, if you cool. if you're a cat lover, this is that that sounds like cute. that might be a good audiobook for when we're in the car driving in Scotland. Like for oh, the whole yeah. family to listen it's to. It's definitely a book that it's it's wholesome. So again, those two books are Bike Riding in Kabul by Jamie Bowman and Nala's World by Dean Nicholson. Okay, Carrie. I think we might need to take a quick break. We do. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back. All right, so let's talk about some of these covers. Cover categories. Book cover categories. So I had mentioned that the book I... Just finished reading not too long ago, The Blue by Kai Kupferschmidt was the book that sort of gave me the idea for this. Well, when you suggested this as a topic, I thought it was a great idea. Like, oh, this is so awesome. And, and I never have great ideas. No, like, I, do. I, no, 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 no. You tend to be the idea person. Okay. You have better ideas. Than I, I thought this was a very good idea because, as we all know, covers matter, book mm-hmm. covers matter. We do, despite what we say, we do judge books based we on do. their covers. We do. So when I started looking through the list of books that I have read, oh my gosh, I started to get completely overwhelmed. <laughs> I mean, I had a list of like 20 different books and I called you up and I said, well, I don't know. Like sometimes what are I'm the on, rules? What are the rules? <laughs> what, what, is our, what is our rubric for this? Because I thought, 
do some of these covers, do I just like the cover because I really like the book and therefore made me like the cover? Or did I like the cover first? I can't remember. It was completely. Yeah, you I, got really like. I got overwhelmed. Like, I had to talk you off the ledge a little bit. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. it can be whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> so what helped me was giving myself categories. Mm-hmm. I might have several books where I really like the color and they all fit into one category. So I'm just using one book as sort of the representative representative for that category. And once I did that, Mm -hmm. I was not as anxious (laughs) about it. (laughs) So, okay. So what would you say your categories are? My categories tend to be antique or vintage covers. Okay. Nature. Like I like things that have flowers or plants or vines or things like that uh weird okay and now now when you say weird weird can encompass a lot of stuff so what's your weird uh things that make me go hmm (laughs) (laughs) okay okay wtf is going on here what is going on in this book because this cover is a little strange okay gotcha and then artistic. And then my last one would be funny. Like covers that when I look at them, like make me chuckle a little bit inside. Okay. okay. I feel like mine are more like an idea and yours are more <laughs> concrete. <laughs> All right. So mine are houses. That's what I'm saying. More concrete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cities. Concrete. Dead or decaying bodies. Concrete. <laughs> Animals. Okay, that concrete. Yeah, that's pretty concrete. Mm-hmm. And then now I do have a weird stuff category, but but my weird stuff is like creepy goth, dead, death, yeah. like yeah. skeleton type yeah. things. But yes, mine are more concrete. Yeah, I totally think that is on par with our personality. I think you're right. Yeah, because my- you are the idea person, and I'm like the logistics person. It's so funny because I guess I just assumed. Like, I checked with you to find out what books you were going to talk about to make sure that we weren't going to overlap. There's no way in hell we were going to overlap because mm-hmm. we don't look for the same things, except thing. for maybe the... Houses, maybe? No, no. creepy. The, yeah, but your idea of creepy and my idea of creepy, I think, are very different. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. okay. So hit me with your, your first one, Carrie. Okay. So... This book would probably fall under weird stuff. The book is What I Hate from A to Z by Roz Chast. And Roz Chast is a illustrator, cartoonist for The New Yorker. And I was drawn to this cover because it is a funny depiction of Edward Monk's The Scream. And the book is all about things that Chast hates. So, you know, the title drew me in, but also the cover, because if you've seen that painting, the scream, it's eerie, it's creepy, but this is like an illustrated version that's funny. So I I like the combination of those two things. Some of the things that Chast hates are are very serious, like rabies. That's pretty serious. It's okay to hate 
And while other things are definitely more lighthearted, like Jello One Two Three, it's been a while since I read this book, so I had to go back and look up what Jello One Two Three is. And Jello One Two Three is it was like a Jello thing that you would make, but it would show the Jello like if when you made it, it was in three different. Oh yeah, layers. yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that okay. layered Jello sounds. Layered Jello. Yeah. Um, and so that was like things I hate is Jello One Two Three. I guess it was like the anxiety of making sure the layers were all. Oh. You know, which I totally get. Like, that would freak me out, too. It's like a super quick read, but it's her drawings and commentary about both the big and the little things that she hates. So, again, What I Hate from A to Z by Roz Chast. And that's your weird. Well, but I do have another one that would fall under that as well. Another book that would fall under kind of the weird category. I have several that fall under that. But Franny K. Stein books by Jim Benton. I read those books with my sons. Uh-huh. And... If you've seen Franny K. Stein, she's like a little girl mad scientist, but she looks like she's totally goth. You know, she has the dark eyeliner under her eyes. She's grouchy. Apparently, it's it's both. It has to be weird and grouchy or weird and hateful or weird and... <laughs> I think grouchy should be one of your I know, categories. it should be. Anyway, so the thing about Franny K. Stein is that she she's an elementary school kid, but she doesn't understand any of the normal elementary school things that regular kids get and get excited about. I like her for her grouchiness and her mostly failing attempts to do mad science. But underneath, she's like really, she's kind of a sweetheart. But, you know, you see these covers and it's always like Franny K. Stein and she's this little girl mad scientist. And it's just weird. Yeah. And and I love those books. Like I still, I kept them. Like other books that when my kids were done with them, I got rid of them. I still have like all seven of the Franny K. Stein books. So so that would be under the weird category as well. So I, I guess I'm going to go ahead and talk about my weird category. Okay. Let's see how your weird compares to my weird. So like I said, for me, the weird would be like things that make you go, hmm. And so the book that I chose to use it as an example for this is Mrs. Peregrine's Home for Peculiar mm. Children mm-hmm. by Ransom Riggs. And this is a, I think it's a middle grade to YA series. Mm-hmm. And it's one of my favorites. And I'm not even a series reader, but what got me to read the very first first book of this series was the cover mm-hmm. of the first book. And the story is about a very unique orphanage on a remote island, deserted island off of Britain, where the children all have very unusual attributes one girl will float away unless she wears like weighted shoes another child is unbelievably strong there's a set of telepathic twins and one child who can produce fire and our protagonist of the book jacob who's 16 has just experienced a very horrible family tragedy and he is exploring he finds the home in shambles and he must figure out what happened to this school and how it is related to him and his family. So on the cover is a black and white picture of a girl, probably from the early 20th century, levitating off the ground. And the book itself has vintage photos of very strange things interspersed throughout the pages. Photos that look like maybe they were from circuses or sideshows. They're just very weird photos and they're real. Mm -hmm. And so that the whole premise just intrigued me. I've read, I haven't read all of the books in the series. I've read almost all the books in the series, 
but that is definitely a weird cover. Another example for me of a weird cover would be Tidepool by Nicole Wilson. And this is a book about a sea monster, but on the cover, it's like dark and it's got octopus tentacles like all over it. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of the, maybe yeah, yeah, what yeah. you consider mm-hmm. creepy. Yeah. What's next? I'm going to do animals. I love books about animals Mm -hmm. and I am drawn to those covers, but I guess it wasn't a whole category for me. I definitely like animals on covers. So the book I'm going to talk about, I listened to as an audio book. It's called A Most Remarkable Creature, The Hidden Life and Epic Journey of the World's Smartest Birds of Prey by Jonathan Myberg. There is a Gigantic There's bird of prey. There's a huge black bird on yeah. the front. Holy moly. Yeah, yeah. And that bird, it's not like pretty cute bird. No. It's like kind of creepy, scary bird. And that bird is a caracara. I had never heard of this bird before. It is a South American bird of prey. It's in the same family as peregrine falcons, but it's very different. Most birds of prey do not have any desire to get around humans. At all. I mean, they stay clear of humans, but caracaras are very inquisitive and have this playful side. And so in the book, he talks about these birds in depth, but he also talks about sort of a history of why certain animals ended up where they are in the Americas. So like, you know, he kind of goes through a little bit of geological time and talks about sort of extinctions and why caracaras ended up where they did. And, you know, he mentions other animals too, but I thought it was really fascinating you know, if you, if you like animals. Okay, give me another example. Because like, when I think about covers with animals that I like, mm-hmm. I think of cute, cuddly animals. And this bird, like I would put that under my weird, I would put that <laughs> in my weird category. Well, okay, let me give you an example. So I have read a number of octopus books. You have, yeah. Cy Montgomery wrote a book, The Soul of an Octopus. So now that one is not a creepy. No, he's he's kind of a cute cute. little And then I also read, there's another Cy Montgomery book about hummingbirds, The Hummingbird's Gift. I read that one. Again, cute. You know, I have wanted to read H's for Hawk by Helen McDonald. And so that has been on my list that I want to read. I don't know that I'm necessarily, I mean, I do like cats, but if it was a dog Mm -hmm. on a cover, Yeah. yeah. Like, if somebody wrote a book about bandicoots and put a bandicoot on the cover, I would be, like, right in line to read that book. You know, a bandicoot is a is a term that I hardly ever hear in regular conversation. But since we've been doing this podcast... I use it a lot. You I? use the word bandicoot all the time. Like, what is up with a bandicoot? Because you don't hear about it very often. I mean, I love animals. I mean... Maybe I should add platypus. When are you going to start using platypus well, all the time? Well, bandicoot, just, there's something about yeah, like, okay. that word. But well. I have this real fascination with animals that you don't see very often. Axolotls, you don't see those very often. I think it's interesting to learn about animals that are kind of off the radar. Okay. So, anyway. Oh, that's funny. All right. What's yours? <laughs> my, what's your next one? My next one is antique or vintage inspired covers. And so... My example for this would be a historical fiction novel called Champagne Widows by Rebecca Rosenberg. She was actually a a guest on our show, I don't know, a year or two ago. In Champagne Widows, we learn about 
one of the most important people in the history of French wine, who was Madame Clicquot in the early 1800s, and she revolutionized French champagne. And in this book, we get an immersive story of a very strong woman who makes a name for herself after her husband's death, and she battles hardships such as Napoleon Bonaparte and the war that's being waged by Napoleon all over Europe and Russia. And so what I love about this cover is that it looks like an antique French poster from that time period. And there is a woman who's sitting on a champagne cork and that cork looks like it's ready to just like burst out of the bottle. This is first in the series about historical female winemakers in France that this, that Rebecca Rosenberg is writing. The second book just came out and I'm, in fact, I'm reading it right now and it's called Madame Pomery. And Madame Pomery had a similar story in that she was also a widow and she took over her family's wine business. And she is the creator of the first Brut Champagne, which is, Brut means that it's, it's dry. It's not sweet. The champagne that Madame Clicquot uh, created was a very sweet wine, which was the style at the time. But the cover on that book is equally as scrumptious and it harking back to sort of those French st- street posters at the time. So another example of this would be, it doesn't necessarily have to be French, but another example would be Girl Waits with Gun by Amy Stewart, which is a mystery series. And on the cover of those, it looks like little ads that you would see in newspapers mm from the early 20th century. And so I just like those, I don't know, I guess I just like those things that harken back to that time. And so I'm always intrigued by those kind of covers. Cool. Okay. I like it. Give me your next one. All right. Things that look like, well, okay. <laughs> Bodies. <laughs> uh-huh. Maybe they're dead, dying, on their way, possibly going to be dead by the end of the book. Those are covers that, <laughs> that I like. Yes, dead. dead stuff. Dead stuff. Uh-huh. Okay, this it's it's a very interesting cover. The book is called "Wake the Bones" by Elizabeth Kilcoyne, and she's actually a Kentucky writer. She lives in Kentucky, I think, Lexington, I Lexington. I think. And this cover, it is a girl's body. She may be dead. She kind of looks dead. Not sure. And there's these vines that look like they're kind of grabbing onto her. And the vines, like, sort of look like they could be hands. I don't know. It's a very cool cover. It is a cool cover. Yeah. I would put that, for me, that would be a weird. Yeah. That would be my weird Well, category. yeah, I mean, it is weird, but it's also. Almost like, all of yours are in the weird. Yeah, ca- they're like subgenres of weird. <laughs> <laughs> my big umbrella category is weird. And yeah. Let's fill that in. Okay. The story is set in Kentucky, and it features protagonist Laurel, a young adult taxidermist who can read how a creature died through its bones. And she and her three friends discover a grisly, possible, probable murder scene at a well, the same well where Laurel's mother died. So like most YA books, the characters are trying to figure themselves out. Laurel wants to understand why and how her mother died, as well as how to use this unique gift she has of being able to read bones. Two of her friends are gay and have feelings for each other, but that is complicated in this small rural town. You know, if you like YA books, it it was definitely, it's a creepy vibe. When I think about other books like this, so I am a fan of Mary Shelley. I, I, I like the book Frankenstein. The book, it's called The Monsters, Mary Shelley and the Curse of Frankenstein by Dorothy Hubler. And that has a body 
probably dead, maybe dead, almost dead, body <laughs> on the cover. That's my jam, apparently. Jam. I, I sort of like that. <laughs> Very good. What about what about yours? Okay, my next one is nature. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely, pretty Lovely nature. nature. Uh, so the example I'm going to use for this is a book called Tulip Fever by Deborah Mogok. And this is another historical fiction novel. Is it set during the tulip craze in Amsterdam in the 1630s? And this time in Dutch history, it was a time of extreme wealth because of the global trade and the the merchants who you know were living in Amsterdam. But it was also a time of of great art, and that's sort of why I read this book. It was part of a book club that I was a part of at the Speed Art Museum. And so the the storyline of the book is that there's an older merchant who has married a lovely young wife and he pays a young artist to paint her portrait. But the book themes are about lust and greed and deception. And the language that the author used is just so representative of of the paintings of the time and it made you feel like you were there i really love this book and if you like books about art um and artists uh i would give this one a try the cover is a very stark black background with this incredibly beautiful sensual tulip that is opened almost past its prime you know slightly past ripe, I guess you would say, um, on the front and is a great contrast mm-hmm. to the black. Um, so again, the name of that book is Tublet Fever by Deborah Mogok. Another example of this would be The Queen of Hearts by Kimri Martin. Um, and that one, she did a whole series of books that I must have had the same cover designer. And it's nature, but in sort of a, a different way. This one is, is of a heart, a correct anatomical heart, but made out of flowers and with flowers coming out of the valves mm-hmm. and different things. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a contrast. So there's a slightly creepy vibe yeah. Yeah. to my nature. Although it's so pretty. That yeah. cover in particular. It is. Yeah. I mean, I'm not just picking like pretty flowers. Like it has to be <laughs> something else too. There's a book called Ghost Wall by Sarah Moss. Mm-hmm. And in that one, you know, it looks very pastoral it's like an eggshell colored background and there's green vines and it looks sort of pretty but if you look at it real closely some of those vines make the the figure of a skull Mm -hmm. all right my next category is cities you know if it has a picture of a city in some capacity if it looks sort of like a map or it shows the buildings now now when i say a city like it's not necessarily going to be a you know, skyscrapers. The book that I chose to talk about is City of Ember by Jean Duprow. Here's the thing. There are actually, with a lot of these books, there are more than one cover. So there's one cover of City of Ember that just shows like a light bulb that spells out the word Ember. And that's not the one I'm talking about. I'm talking about the other one that shows a city the underground city of Ember. Okay, so Ember is an underground city that was built a long time ago and is now undergoing scary shortages. They're running out of clothing, food, electricity. Lena and Dune are two children who discover what may be a route to escape the city. Along the way, they begin to understand that what they have been told about Ember by the government may not be entirely true. 
So why have they not been told about that there's even an outside world that that may exist? Is it because it's dangerous out there? Or is there a sinister reason why everyone has literally been kept in the dark underground? It's a good book for, I think, you know, adults and kids. And when I think about this whole idea of cities, you know, on covers, I would have to add Mordu by Alex Phoebe. I really love that book that shows kind of this city picture. And even uh, When You Reach Me by Rebecca Stead, that shows like a map. Uh, and it's a very simple map, but it's a map of a of a city. Uh, Rivers of London by Ben Aronovich, that shows kind of this map of London That's with the cool city concept. going through. Yeah. And that was an awesome book. So I think I'm just generally attracted to if there's a picture of a city on it, I'm probably going to want to read it. All right, what's your next one? <laughs> Humorous category. Any book that the cover makes me like chuckle a little bit to myself. The one I'm going to use in this example is called You Never Forget Your First by Alex Coe. This is a nonfiction biography about George Washington. And Alexis Coe is new crop of historians, female historians, who are reexamining history through the eyes of a non-white male. And so the book itself you know, has a little bit of humor. But what I liked about the cover is that it is a illustration of George Washington tying his cravat with a little smirky smile on his face. And you know, if you think about the title, you never forget your first, there's a little bit of a snarky mm -hmm. thing going on uh, there. What is it a double entendre? Yeah. yeah. And so I like that about it. Another example would be actually a book I talked about a couple weeks ago, American Cheese by Joe Berkowitz, because on that you have the head of the Statue of Liberty and there's a cheese cube stuck on one of the spikes mm -hmm. of her crown that kind of make it look like a little... <laughs> Cheese. Or <laughs> you right. So like that one made me chuckle. Uh, then there's like nothing to see here by Kevin Wilson. And in that one, it's this kid and you can see the bottom half of him and the top half of him is like <laughs> on, on fire. fire. Right. In like a funny way, not in like a, oh my God. A bloody way. Not yeah. in a, yeah. I really like things that make me laugh. If it makes me think that it's. If it, if it gives you the sense that there's kind of a twist, a funny, humorous twist to yes. it. Yes. Yes. Then I, I like it. Just to finish up my categories, houses. Uh, the book that I'm going to mention as sort of representing this is The Mysterious Benedict Society by Trenton Lee Stewart. This is a, an entire book series. I've read the first one, and it's a book about four orphan children who have special gifts and are trying to help prevent a villain from taking over the world. But this is, again, a book series for kids that adults can definitely enjoy. But I realized that houses are kind of a thing for me because I, when I was looking through actually some of the books that, that I really enjoyed. So Mysterious Benedict Society is one. The Monsters of Rookhaven by Padraig Kenny. That has a house on the cover. I love that book. And Winter House by Ben Guderson. And that has a house on the cover. And I love that. I, I might agree with you. I mean, I don't know that I'd make a whole category of houses, mm -hmm. but I do like a I do like a book that has a house. Well, my category would be artistic mm -hmm. covers. And it kind of goes up maybe a little bit with the nature. But the one I was using as an example for this is Drown Town by Jane Moore Waldron. And this is a collection of linked short stories that explores the impact of dammed rivers in Kentucky in the 1960s, how it affected 
the multiple generation of residents who had had to leave their homes. And it's it's based on John F. Kennedy's decision to create a national recreation area called Land Between the Lakes. And people's homes and businesses were taken by eminent domain. And then these little towns were flooded. But the cover of this book, I love it. It's in shades of blues, greens, and yellows, and in pastels. And it looks like ripples or waves in the water. And I can imagine this cover in maybe like a museum of contemporary art or modern art. And it's just so calming and lovely that it made me want to read the book. Another example of one that I think of as being sort of artistic is the cover of Somebody's Daughter by Ashley Ford. There's just lots of interesting designs on the covers with vivid colors in it. I like sort of a artistic cover. Very good. So that's all. But, oh, wait, one more thing. What is a type of cover that you hate? Do you have a category of covers you hate? I do not like covers of women looking pensive in general. And sometimes you can't even see their face, but you know they're just standing there thinking about something. I just get really tired of those. To me, I'm like, well, here's a thinking lady. Here's another thinking lady. Here's another. I don't. To me, they they all just sort of blend in together, and it really doesn't make me want to read the book at all. I, I sort of lump them all together because they're all the same. Mine, they don't do anything for me. Mine is similar. I used to love reading historical fiction, and I still do like to read a historical fiction novel, but I almost will not read it if it is a cover of the back of a woman. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of covers with, maybe there's an Eiffel Tower in the background and we have the back of a woman, Mm -hmm. or it's a woman holding a suitcase in the back of the woman. Mm -hmm. And almost all of these books have have daughter, wife, Mm -hmm. girl, sister. Mm I don't know why that the designers do this because to me it's sort of like it means that it's a nameless woman. Like she's got no agency. She's thinking though. She might be. She's, she. I bet if you saw her face, she'd be pensive. Yes, she'd be thinking about something. Yeah. So yeah. Cover designers, stop doing that. Yeah. All right. That's our. At least if they want us to buy their. Books. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I need to take a moment and stop thinking about covers and start thinking about. What's on my TV and things that we love and hate. We'll be back in a minute. We're back. And in a strange twist of events, we started doing this. We did this love-hate thing. Probably 95% of the time we do this, I'm going to be hating on something because that's just how I am. But in a strange twist of events, we actually have where you are going to talk about something you hate. And I'm going to talk about something I love, which you helped me discover. I did. Which do you want to start? Love or hate? It's up to you. What do you think? You want to do the hate? I, you know, there's so many things that have happened in the last like week or two to hate. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're here in Kentucky, our legislature, and I hate these two, have passed some just really draconian anti-drag show laws, anti-health care for trans kids. It just doesn't make any sense. Today, I hate both of those things. But the thing I'm going to talk about today is something that when I heard about it and saw it just for one, made me laugh, but made me laugh in 
anger because and frustration and frustration because like, it's just so stupid right yeah and now this is not about kentucky no it's well, not about not kentucky. yet not yet not it yet but it kentucky. could be it could yeah. i mean it very well could be yeah. about kentucky no this is a this is sort of like a florida you know it's not florida, florida man. man it's like florida parents okay <laughs> so there is this school in tallahassee called the tallahassee classical school which i think is a christian-based school there's a controversy surrounding it because the principal of the school was asked to resign because of the handling of a lesson is with sixth graders and there was a lesson where the students were shown a picture of michelangelo's statue of david and you know the statue of david He's naked. Mm-hmm. It, you know. Like a lot of classical statues are. Almost all of them. Yeah. Almost all of them in Greece and Rome. Yeah. And this is a classical academy, yeah. right? Right. Right. Yeah. And the parents thought that it was pornographic, that this statue of David, which I saw last summer in Florence, was pornographic. Well, it is the human body. Mm-hmm. The the statue's it's not doing there. anything sexual. And, and, it's just uh, and honestly, there. honestly, it's representing David from the Bible. So then the Associated Press reported that the mayor of Florence, Italy, and the director of the Galleria dell'Accademia, which is where the marble statue is located, and have invited the formal principal, the parents, and students to visit the museum after this controversy. What it makes me think of is that that we are a laughing stock to the rest of the world because of these prudish I don't I mean I don't know if it's prudish. I mean I just don't understand I mean that that the statue of David is pornography. I don't understand. Do all of the kids have bodies? Because they've already seen They've already seen naked bodies, their own bodies. Right. I guess, unless they have to blindfold themselves to shower. I don't know. It's, yes, it's anyway. absurd. Yeah. All right. Well, let me okay, tell, tell you. tell you about the thing that you well, love, Carrie. Well, you, you introduced me to the thing that, that I, you know, and honestly, love is probably too strong a word, honestly. You know, like, I would say like. Because I'm one of those people, it took me a long time to even tell my mother-in-law that I loved her. Because I'm just very, like, for me to use the word love, I really have to feel strongly. So we're going to say like. But you did turn me on to this salad kit (laughs) at Target, Nashville Hot. And I bought it to bring to the movie thing that we did yesterday. And it was very good. And everybody ate it up and loved the salad. And I had it last night. And my husband loved it. It's spicy and it has, it's not overly yeah, spicy. It's not overly uh, well to my mom. My mom couldn't eat it. Her okay, mouth would well, be on fire. Okay. Right? Yeah, my mom too. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but it's got these like pickle chips kind of like but they're dry. They're, they're like dry, dry crispy but they're crispy. Pickle chips. Yeah, but they're good. They give mm-hmm. it a nice crunch. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Nashville hot. And if you want to take this bag salad and add a little freshness to it, yeah. I always add like some you know, some little like grape tomatoes yeah. and some I cucumber slices yep. and that freshens it up a little bit. Yeah. You makes know? it a little, makes it a little more substantial. And I would think what you could love about it is when you need a last minute side dish, yes. 
It's so easy. Yes. Thank you. All right. Well, we've got David's junk and a Target salad <laughs> kit. Those are our love and hate things today. All okay. right. Do we have time to, to say what's on TBR? I think we do. All right. What you got on your TBR? So I am taking a graduate class right now called Poverty in Schools. And I heard about this book from the class. It's called Evicted, Poverty and Profit in the American City by Matthew Desmond. So I've added that to my list. In terms of unusual but really cool covers, I've added The Crane Husband by Kelly Barnhill. Have you seen this cover? This is... I have, and I do really like that cover. That is a really cool cover. Yeah. It's kind of the profile of a face, and it's got, it almost looks like it's a mask, but at the same time, it may just be the face of the person, but it's got feathers all over it. So it's human, but bird-like at the same time, like red mm-hmm. and and beige and green. It's just, it's really a gorgeous cover. It is. So. That one is a little bit weird. A little bit artistic. Mm-hmm. A little bit naturey. A little bit naturey. Mm-hmm. It's kind of got it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then the other two I have uh, are about our history. So one is called Benjamin Banneker and Us, 11 Generations of an American Family. And the, the other one is They Were Her Property, White Women as Slave Owners in the American South. I can't remember where I heard about those two, but they sounded really interesting to me in terms of the history of slavery and the history of black Americans and generations. Cool. So, what about you? The one I put on there just the other day is called the mostly true story of Tanner and Louise by Colleen Oakley. And I actually heard about this book on the thoughts from a page podcast with Cindy Burnett And this book just came out. Why I added it is the author was talking about how her grandmother had Parkinson's. And one of the things that people with Parkinson's sometimes have is they have hallucinations. And her grandmother had hallucinations of all these crazy things that she did. And so this author took one of those crazy, you know, hallucinations and made it into a story. Oh, wow. And so (laughs) I really wanted to read that. Another one is Lone Women by Victor Laval, who is an author oh, you have yeah, read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has a new book out, but it's kind of set in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know a whole lot about it. I didn't put that on my Goodreads list, but I did tag it on my Libby app. It says that there's a woman he, who carries an enormous steamer trunk with her wherever she goes, and it's always locked. When the trunk opens, people around her start to disappear. Sounds cool. Yeah. And then the last one that I'm going to talk about is called The United States of Cryptids, A Tour of American Myths and Monsters. (laughs) And so cryptids are things like Bigfoot or Mm -hmm. like a sea monster or like here in Kentucky, we have the Popelick monster, which is supposed to be this monster with like goat legs or that, that people see near this particular train trellis. This is a book where someone has like taking a road trip through the United States and talking about the different cryptid cool. urban legends or myths. And so that sounded interesting to me. And that one is by J.W. Ocker, O-C-K-E-R. Well, this has been fun. 
yeah. enjoyed this. Yeah. I like talking about book covers. Book covers are kind of cool. Yeah. So we'll see you next week. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. We're also on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod and on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover. If you like what we're doing with the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help people find us or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org.